our devices are listening to us. Previous generations of audio technology transmitted, recorded or manipulated sound. Today are digital voice assistants, smart speakers and a growing range of related technologies are increasingly able to analyze and respond to it as well. Scientists and engineers increasingly refer to this as machine listening, though the first widespread use of the term was in computer music. Machine listening is much more than just a new scientific discipline or vein of technical innovation however. It is also an emergent field of knowledge power, of data extraction and colonialism, of capital accumulation, automation and control. It demands critical and artistic attention. Alex Ahmed talks to artist Sean Dockray, legal scholar James Parker, and curator Joel Stern about Project Spectra, an online, community-based, free and open-source software application for transgender voice training. We discuss speech pathology and the politics of pitch, along with the importance of grassroots-led tech projects and community-centered design. Could you maybe kick things off just by telling us a little bit about yourself, your work, you know, just a bit of a general introduction? Yeah, so my name is Alex Ahmed. I uh, just finished my PhD in health informatics at Northeastern University that's located in Boston, Massachusetts in the U.S. And my dissertation work was, um, it started kind of with the goal of exploring voice training technology. I was coming out at the time as, as trans and um, I kind of saw this as like a project that would make me feel like that I was doing something worthwhile um, and it was like originating directly from my experience and that was back in 2014. So that's when I started working on this and about six years later I had a <laughs> prototype out for um, for an app that um, was created by by me and also a, a group of other people who came to be called Project Spectra. And this was um, a, a community of about 20 people um, that worked together for like a year and a half to make this a reality, but was really grounded in like interviews that I had conducted myself with other trans people about voice and then um, kind of taking those experiences and um, translating them into a, a potential design. So there was kind of that grounding in lived experience and then using that to like try to figure out what would be useful, but also examining what's currently out there from a sort of critical um, queer theory lens. So those were like the three main components um, of the project. And yeah, so here I am. It's an amazing project. Can you can you say something about the sort of the nature of the intervention that Project Spectra makes? Like what, what was the field of voice training apps like? Or I mean, perhaps it, even its history beyond, you know, the apps. And, and so what, what is it that Project Spectra sort of attempts to do in that context? Yeah, so um, voice training as a clin as a clinical field for specifically for trans people is relatively young. I don't think it's necessarily like the case that no trans people went to speech therapists like with the goal of feminizing masculinizing or just generally modifying their their voice before like you know the 90s or 
the early 2000s, but that is when the first like clinical handbook for speech therapists working with trans clients comes out. Um, and then that text has been revised and updated um, several times since then. But voice training, like from that clinical standpoint with practices geared specifically towards trans people is pretty new. And the intervention that I was trying to pursue was on a few different levels. I think number one is the, like, the way that clinical understandings of trans people are um, structured by these, these normative ideas. Um, and this goes back a long time. So even outside the realm of voice, it was common practice for transgender people um, who were trying to obtain hormones or gender transition treatments of various kinds um, had to go through a lot of barriers on their way and a lot of and those barriers came from clinical and medical institutions so trans people would need to um to sort of prove that they were sufficiently trans i guess and that that happened through a lot of different ways so one was you had to kind of fit a profile um and that profile was kind of like Oh, you had um, you had thought about like being, you know, a woman or a man, like from an early age, you played with dolls, you played with cards when everyone else wasn't like that kind of thing. So there is this narrative, this life transit, um, this life trajectory that um, people were expected to um, to adhere to. And if you didn't, then it was strange that like that maybe suggested that oh, it actually, you're not transsexual. And you may think you are actually, it's just a sexual fetish or it's just a, it's a phase or it's, um, it's something else. So this actually happened to me um, when I went to um, a therapist for the first time to sort of talk through these issues. And that was only in 2012, so not too long ago. And of course, you know, that person I went to isn't representative necessarily of like, all clinicians, but it was standard, I think, enough that like, unless you were in something very progressive, uh, leaning then in, in like a clinical center that was more progressive, then you could expect that. So these like normative ideas were sort of structured in, into the very act action of like transitioning. And so that included a history and also like a present. So you had to like prove your transness through what they called real life experience. So you had to essentially present, look, act as female um, or male or whatever, you know, you were attempting to pursue transition, but you had to do that without any, any hormones or any like, you know, if you wanted to have like any sort of like surgeries or anything like that, like that you couldn't do until you had spent a certain amount of time, like a few, you know, a month, a year, whatever, as this real life experience, you know, as um, the gender you claim to be. And this was sort of like, you had to prove it. So this kind of, it, it's extending also into the voice world because voice is just one of those things that you had to perform in order to state sufficiently or convincingly state a claim to like a gender. 
And so that's kind of um, partly where, you know, the clinical aspect comes into it. And this isn't to claim that like no trans people ever went to a clinical voice therapist and like independently said, you know, independent of all this like institutionally like mandated stuff, like went to a a therapist and said, I want to do this Um, because certainly they did. And certainly they do. We do. But this is sort of like the milieu, the social milieu of how this is happening. You know, there's no really, there's no world in which like a trans person is not thinking about these things too. It's both what do I want and what is also expected of me. So for voice, we were seeing in like just the the clinical world and also in these apps, um, some of which I looked into like, um, you know, early on. Um, were like presenting them presenting a certain idea of like gender of femininity and masculinity that was very stereotypical and very like narrow and I can show you again those apps are that I just showed you earlier but this is kind of like what we were trying to work against so it's the technology design resulting from this like these like social pressures and also the social pressures themselves which um, which were structuring the design of the technology in the first place. Could you maybe describe um, some of those sort of normative or narrow features um, just as a way into describing the difference that Project Spectra is aimed for? Um, you know, uh, I think yeah. um, perhaps if it's possible to do it orally rather than visually for the purposes of this interview, that would help. Yeah, so... Um, the way that voice is presented and the way that gender is presented in um, in voice training apps kind of assumes a lot of things, not always, but often assumes a lot of things about um, what you're trying to do with your voice. So in one app, it assumes that, or it tells you that in order to be sufficiently feminine, you need to be able to hold an A3 pitch. So 220 hertz. And so the first exercise the app gives you is a tuner that if you're on A3, it's green. And if you're not, it's red. And it's sort of, it's designed kind of sort of like a target. And if you're off by a little, it turns red. So by definition, it's like narrowing. It's like structuring, like this is where you begin. You begin at A3. And from there, it, it, it just continues, right? So it's like, do you, are you like being sufficiently breathy in like your tone? Is your sentences elevating at the end, like as a sort of up, um, up speak is, com- is the common like word for it. Is that like, you sort of talk like this and that's what you're trained on. So you're sort of meant to mimic what the teacher is doing. So this is very interesting in that a lot of no, a lot of apps don't do this. They don't usually show a human face and like have you mimic a human. Um, so like think of like pretty much any app you ever used, right? Like you never see a person. You know, there people don't talk to you. Like maybe you see an in, an embed video, but like in some of these apps that for voice training, the image of the therapist is very central. And that kind of gives this impression that like, okay, this is my ambassador. 
like, this is the person who's welcoming me into the gender that I want to be. And so has the knowledge, the credibility, the history, the expertise that I need to copy and to, to achieve my, my gender, my gender goals. That's how these apps are um, explaining themselves or presenting themselves to the user. So this is really problematic because most, if not all, transgender speech therapists that I've, or sorry, not transgender speech therapists, speech therapists who, who like attend to transgender clients, um, they're all cisgender women and they're all white. That's the sort of general rule that I've seen. I've never seen a speech therapist that isn't one of those. And so when you are asked to mimic someone who is cisgender and white and North American, European, then that is the femininity and masculinity that you learn or voice-wise, right? It's, it's white, um, European femininity and masculinity. And that is also reinforced in the imagery. So all the, there's a lot of like pictures in these apps and a lot of colors, stereotypically like red and blue, pink and blue. Um, and the people in the app, there are a lot of stock photos of like women in dresses and men in suits and um, like mouths like lipsticked mouths (laughs) is like a common visual motif in these apps. Um, And there's like only like three. And so two out of three of them have lipsticked mouths. So I'm saying it's common, which is weird, right? Like why, you know, is it because voice equals mouth plus woman equals lipstick? I mean, it's just, it's very uninspired. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, I guess, intervention, intervention, C or whatever. The third component of the intervention is like, let's just clean up this design. Like, let's make it not weird (laughs) and, um, you know, not sort of make it not like the user has to either identify with these images or look at them and be like, oh, why is that there? Just from a design perspective, we wanted to improve on that. I mean, I was I was interested in um, going further into um, the way in which um, into the functionality of, of Project Spectra and and you know because I had a look at the um, GitHub and and just I'm just not I'm not sort of quite technical enough to sort of understand like the, the processing and the algorithms and the different sort of ca- capacity of the of the application and, and what it does. But but I also wanted to um, just go back to the the methodology where. where you were talking about, you know, do, doing staging a lot of interviews um, with trans people about about voice, and I was just wondering if um, you could say something just about what you know what you learned from those interviews and and how they um, helped kind of set up the objectives of the project, and then you know perhaps that could sort of lead into some of the functionality of the application itself. Yeah, I'm happy to. So. Um... I did 10 interviews um, with trans people local to the Boston area. And these were about an hour long and mostly in person. And um, I asked them about just their general like 
history with voice? Like, have they thought about it? Have they used any, have they been to a speech therapist? Have they used any technologies? And if they have, I just probed to understand what that was like for them, you know, just sort of at a basic level, like emotionally. And so um, from that, sort of going into um, a sort of like speculative, like design, like question by saying like, if there were something that you could use, like what would it do? And so while a focus of it was definitely like, let's figure out how to design a thing, I was really, or mainly interested in the emotional or like the, the like, life experience of, of, of these folks and like where they were coming from. And um, there was a lot of variety in people's responses, some of whom were kind of on the fence about whether or not they wanted to pursue voice. Um, some were kind of just angry about it. Like, I, I like don't like that I have to do this. I feel like it's something I have to do rather than something I want to do. Others are were really invested in it on a personal level, and um, some of them were um, sort of midway. Like they were very, they were like skeptical, but they were also like, there are some things here that I want, and there are some things that I'm rejecting. So, for example, there was one one trans woman who said that um, there are some aspects of voice that are sex and some are gender. So for her, sex components of the voice are like things that can be related to like biology, like like pitch and resonance are sort of like, you know, generally speaking, like cisgender women have like, you know, shorter vocal tracks or whichever. I actually don't remember exactly what the anatomical relationship is, but for her, like these were things that were squarely like, sex on the other hand she said like other things are gender like up talk is gender vocal fry so like talking in a sort of gravelly low like like a voice that's also gender um and so she she wanted to focus on the what she called the sex aspects um not everyone certainly is going to agree with that distinction or separation um but it's it was her way of thinking about it and her way of deciding like what to do and what not to do. I also found that people were sort of creatively using existing technologies to like jury rig them into things that would work for them. So since there were really no like apps that fulfilled their purposes, they would just use regular like recording tools or they would use like apps that that they could sort of just have on and just look at throughout the day to sort of see where they are in terms of their voice. And these would just be like general purpose, like pitch measuring tools. And these same tools would be things that their speech therapist would recommend because there were no like other options. So we immediately saw like that as like, oh, like it's clear that even speech therapists are just suggesting people use pitch tuners. So there is a, there is a way for us to like, to move here that, and do something that's useful. So that became kind of um, one of our goals 
which is to like have something that didn't necessarily like give you an entire like lesson plan for like how to train your voice, but rather just like a companion that like someone could use if they wanted to, to get like a a sense of where their voice is and also to um, to strengthen their voice, regardless of what they're, they're like going for. So we ended up with a set of voice strengthening exercises, which included like holding a note, And that note itself isn't like, there's no like gender component to that. Like you really just choose whichever one is the most comfortable for you. And it doesn't matter actually which one you choose. It's just an exercise that is meant to strengthen like your, your vocal cords. So it's not unlike what like a singing student would do. And so that, that was kind of intentional. Like at first glance, it's sort of like you open it up and there's like, you know, it just says like pick a note to hold. And, uh, We did that because um, a lot of the existing trans voice resources, both made by clinicians and those made by trans people, like, you know, this is a community, involve a lot of repetition, a lot of exercise, a lot of training. And we were sort of in the position that we didn't want to endorse or denounce like any existing like resource, but instead we were just like, here's something that like could be improve, could improve your vocal health. So that's where, that's the direction we decided to go. And part of it was because in the interviews, we saw like so much variability in like what people wanted that there was really no way to um, make something without um, sort of having a, a stance on like, oh, we endorse this. We think that like, this path towards like vocal femininity is like better than this other one. Because also like we wanted users of really any or no gender identity to like feel like they could use it, um, which is not something that um, existing apps allowed for. It was most, it was pretty much just either you want a male voice or a female voice, quote unquote. And you can see that in, um, in the apps that exist now which don't even like express the possibility of being non-binary at all. So, yeah. Outside of the like sort of tool, you're hinting at it already right now, but outside of the tools and, and sort of exercises, I'm wondering how Project Spectra as an app sort of does some of this like pedagogical work or how it sort of participates in sort of ideology ideological kind of construction, you know, in the same way that you have been criticizing the, the other apps of, you know, the the sort of Midwestern cis, you know, women as personality, like, um, and the lips and everything, that obviously there's a, there's a huge component of sort of like design as to how to structure how those exercises are laid out or how they're kind of narrated within kind of this overall program, you know, of your own making. Um, so yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what, what, how did those discussions go with Project Spectra? And how did you come to the, how do you come to um, agreements or about what, what the sort of like graphic layout and what the kind of pedagogical kind of dimension of the app and how to, to, how to find your way through these exercises is, how does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, I mean, just like trans people, like in general, have a lot of different ideas about like what voice should entail, like what voice training should or should not entail. Like, so too, like our group was really heterogeneous and there definitely were like moments of disagreement. And um, I think that played out in a lot of um, complex ways. I think for one, we sort of wanted to do away with pretty much any um, symbology of, of gender, really. So like, we don't have any of that. It's pretty much just, it's a clean layout, like, you know, non-gendered color schemes, like, it's like mostly like greens and purples and oranges. I'm a fan of that um, color scheme, but anyways. And uh, the the language is very um, sort of supportive. Like that was one of our goals. Like we wanted users to feel supported, but not judged or like condescended to. So that kind of meant like, it meant a few things. Like one, um, you should be able to sort of be in dialogue with the app rather than it being like, this is what you should do. Like you, you need to be at 220 Hertz and you need to repeat after me. And, you know, so instead we kind of have it like the beginning of the app is like a series of questions. And so, so the beginning is like, you know, what's your name? And then, you know, you put in your name and then it asks you, what do you want to do with your voice? And so you are, you're allowed to pick from a series of options. So that's, I'd like my voice to be more androgynous. I'd like my voice to be more masculine. And I like to be my voice to be more feminine. And I don't know, I'm just exploring. So you're not really like immediately like shoehorned into this like trajectory. You're more like, uh, we wanted it to be like sort of a, a branching path where like exploration is like encouraged and like play and like expression in a like sort of fun way are encouraged. Um, and the degree to which we actually accomplish that, like, you know, can definitely be up for debate and, you know, a continuous process of revising and, and iterating, but that, those were our intentions to, um, to have that be the mood. And so users can um, pick like if they have like a specific goal for where they want to be, like doesn't have to be 220 hertz. It could be anything, you know, in any range, like, and um, then like throughout the app, like your, your pitch as it's measured by the app is like, is going to be like compared to that, um, that, that self-selected marker. And then alongside that, we just have these completely gender agnostic, like strengthening exercises, um, which we suggest within the app that you do like twice a day, um, just so that like you're not straining yourself. So any like suggestions that we make are purely from that lens, just, uh, you know, don't hurt yourself. It's okay. Like take it easy. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like the, the tone of it is just like, um, you know, make sure to take breaks, take care of yourself. Like, remember that pitch isn't everything. And this is just, uh, you know, a way to, to reduce strain. That's sort of what we ended up with. Now, to answer the other part of your question, there, there definitely were folks on the team who 
wanted there to be a a complete guide, like a sort of step-by-step, like this is how you feminize your voice. And that that was their um their interest as a trans feminine person. And so that's the guide that they were working on. A complete set of exercises, a, a, an entire pedagogical roadmap to like get to like a you know, a feminine voice. So it was their, it was their wish to, to create an app like that. And part of that included, um, exercises that, um, that we didn't end up including in the app, but that like we had created an algorithm to, um, to detect. So that's a, a resonance exercise, which the trans voice training internet community calls big dog, small dog where you pant like a big dog and then pant like a small dog. So that looked like you could try to do it, you know, if you want, it's like, and then. So the idea is when you pant like a small dog, you're, you're like sort of configuring your like vocal resonance in a way that like primes it to like be more feminine because the the vocal cords and the musculature of your mouth is shifted up that way because you're um if you can like feel your larynx it's like if you like can like a small dog your your larynx is like up but if you can like a small dog you can feel it going down so the idea is that a raised larynx is good because that makes your resonance um, more um, like more bright is like the, the speech science term for it. Or if you pant like a big dog, then your voice is like your vocal resonance is darker to use that, to use their phrase again. So some larynx X practice and larynx training is like, very common in these online communities, which Project Spectra as an online community also, um, we're, we're like drawing a lot of these same people. And I can get to that later as sort of like a limitation of our process because those are the people we worked with. Those are the people we found. So the larynx exercise is like very disagree. It's very controversial in like the speech therapy world where some speech therapists would would say like don't do it ever because actually it could hurt your voice and some might say like oh do it but like only if you like really want to or like if you are your specific goals would be suited to it and would work with you to like get to a get to an understanding on that but but otherwise like online big dog small dog or like larynx exercises are um like pretty much universally recommended. It's like do this if you want to sound feminine, do this if you want to sound masculine. Like you need to you need to have control of your larynx in order to maximize your potential. And and like you'll also see this in like singing singing teachers will say similar things. And there's also similar controversies about about larynx like movement and training um, in that world. So basically um, I, to get to make it more concrete, I was working um, with a speech therapist in the Boston area during this project at the same time as I was working with um, these folks, the Project Spectre folks online. And so there was this disagreement where like 
I sort of came to uh, my collaborator, Barbara Worth, and I was like, hey, like, you know, the folks I'm working with, they want to do a larynx exercise, um, include that in the app. And she was like, oh, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. And so I was like, oh, hmm, okay. This person's on my dissertation committee. I kind of like need to make sure that she's happy. At the same time, I don't, I don't want to like, sort of betray my ideals of like wanting to make this app like designed like by and in the community. And, and so like that kind of brings me to like one of the central contradictions of like this work. And, um, and that was like the fact that I was very much like in the academic world, like being um, sort of held to all this academic like rules and standards and codes and like, you know, deadlines and deliverables that I needed to do. And so a lot of the suggestions that came from the community that I was working with actually didn't end up in the app. That wasn't true universally. Like definitely the app like was designed by and coded by us, but like I had a hand in all of it, you know, so to say that um, to say that it was a sort of pure process would definitely be um, would be false, and um, I definitely can't claim it, so I won't. But yeah, so it came through in that way, and that sort of you know the debates and discussions we had um, kind of led us to be like, okay, well, you know, we'll leave it out of this version, but you know, maybe in a future version we can put it in. You know, knowing that like you know, because it's open source, like we could just keep adding to it, like um, beyond the life of the project. So, so that's kind of where we ended up. And that's a nice segue actually into the next question I was going to ask, which is, you know, how, how has it been taken up and what futures do you imagine for it uh, in terms of scale or design or anything really? So when, when I came out with the, um, sort of first release, which was in October um, of last year. It was kind of like the beta and we were going to like share with people, get their feedback. And at the same time, I, as a requirement of my degree, I had to do um, an evaluation study where I had to give the app to some people and get their feedback and opinion on it. So I kind of thought, okay, like that's kind of a reasonable like way like way for this to segue into the next chapter of the study and in fact like the app had to be done by that time in order to have enough time to run a study in like the few months I had left before graduation project spectra kind of like stopped being involved in the evaluation study because that was like wholly done like in Boston like through people I could recruit in person um, and like get approved through like the institutions like review board and stuff so that formal part of the study happened and was happening right when COVID hit so my dissertation kind of ends early <laughs> in that like I um I had had two people who used the app for a month and I interviewed them after that month and I sort of got their sense of like how it worked for them or it didn't work for them and so that was kind of the ending of the project like I wrote it up and then I defended my thesis and then um, I sort of moved on to the next chapter of my life. And there was some movement in Project Spectra even after I graduated. So there was like 
a, a company, a startup that was like interested in like working with us and who like was talking with me. And I was sort of like saying like, don't talk to me, talk to the group. Like, you know, I don't want to be like a leader of this. And so I kind of was encouraging them to like, oh, like just talk to the discord like community and see if they want to help you like, you know, flesh out these ideas more because I kind of felt that I had sort of lived out my like stint as like the like de facto like person calling the shots, like person saying like, actually, this is what needs to be in the app because like, oh, I got to I got to finish it so I can like defend and stuff. So I sort of felt like I wanted to like let go a little bit with the hopes that like, oh, like maybe like things will get taken up. and But it, it kind of didn't, um, unfortunately. So, um, I mean, maybe COVID has to do with this, but like, you know, after March or so, like when I finished my like dissertation study mostly and uh, graduated like a month or two later after I had written my thesis, it's been pretty quiet on the Discord, which is a shame. And I'm not really sure what to do about it um, because I would like it to be seen by more people and to you know, to get more feedback on it. I know that like, it's definitely not done. You know, it's, it does a few things pretty well. Um, but like the people who I interviewed who had used it for a month, um, they definitely had a lot of criticism and feedback and it wasn't universally negative. Like they did like some things about it, but yeah, like to claim that it's like a finished product is definitely not, it's not definitely not true. So I, yeah, I mean, I would hope to keep doing it. And and part of why I um, had stopped was because I need to get another job because I had finished my degree and I didn't have any I have a job, I didn't have income. So I started doing part-time web development, <laughs> like a contract gig. And I thought like, because I had gone on the academic job market too. And um, I had, I struck out, I didn't get anything. And so um, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to like go into industry. I'm going to like just do whatever my boss tells me and maybe unionize them. <laughs> and um, and yeah, like sort of leave this sort of academic life behind and sort of just like work on whatever projects I want. So that's kind of where it's at. I mean, I, I think I might like to work on it again someday, but I guess I kind of would, would want to hope that like the community will sort of revive again because there's a lot of people in, involved in it and on the channel I think it's just that like without like a direction it's just people sitting in a channel and since since it's discord people are in a ton of channels doing other stuff and like talking to other people or doing whatever they do so you know there's not really an impetus to do anything right now I was going to say I think that's such a common not common but like I mean it is sort of a common like a open source project situation i found myself in it personally uh, a number of times of um you know you build these community projects and try not to be sort of um a, a leader let's say or a spokesperson or you know like you want it to have a momentum of its own but clearly you you invest inject some momentum into it and then um it's not so easy to pull yourself out and not have all that momentum sort of um disappear but i am interested in this next step that you've taken i mean i realize it's um it's a little bit just a um a consequence of the academic job market being just like horrific at the moment and just in general 
but also, you know, at this particular moment, uh, and that you find yourself in kind of web development. Um, because, like, I actually think it's interesting because I, I also sort of need on occasion to, um, like, actually solidify my my income situation through similar means. So I, I empathize. And, and recently, that kind of world has been taken over by this, like, uh, user-centered design, IDEO kind of uh, rhetoric, which you um, talk about in the methodology of the paper on Project Spectra. And... Um, what I'm trying to do is connect that to um, something else that I've found, which is recently in those worlds, you know, because um, voice interfaces are kind of taking off just as a, as a you know, there, there was like websites and there were apps. And now I think people are like a lot of these web firms are kind of developing for voice specifically. And so you bring a really interesting and important perspective to that. And I guess I was just wondering, you know, you can pick any part of that question to talk about, but what I'm interested in is either you expanding a little bit more on this kind of like critique of user-centered design, as well as um, thinking about as it kind of applies itself to voice interfaces and machine listening more generally, like how how you sort of see that playing out, particularly with your experience um, of, of doing Project Spectra. Yeah. So actually, um, today was in a meeting with some grad students. And um, for context, I'm a postdoc now at Carnegie Mellon. I just started. I don't know how I got here, but I'm doing that now. Um, <laughs> but so I was in this reading group of, for like um, tech and justice, which my advisor, Sarah Fox, runs. And so one of, one of the... Um, things we were talking about in that, um, in that reading group was like, what is the responsibility of like an individual designer if the technology is doing something socially deleterious? So like, say for example, um, you're creating in like a machine learning system that is going to end up determining like who goes to jail longer or like, who gets healthcare or like whose insurance claims get denied or whatever. And so I think that the, um, like the user-centered design IDEO model kind of like keeps us in this world of like the individual user and like the, and like the individual developer who has these tech skills, who's like trying to like understand the user and like, you know, who is the user and like, it, it, it sort of like constrains the, the world of inquiry to like just these two parties. So for example, like you end up unable to talk about how like, you know, like user-centered design is becoming like prominent in like the military, like, and so we end up being like absurd and saying like, okay, how do we like maximize user-centered like design principles for like warplanes. And it's like, um, like who is the, okay, the, yeah, like, okay, making life easy for the user, i.e. the people flying the, the fucking bombers, like is not going to be good. Like that's actually bad. Um, and so like, and the, and like, I think like students, like I, I kind of like want to approach like my new role is like slightly higher on the academic totem. Like I shouldn't say that on the academic ladder to like be like, 
you know, let's like nudge folks like sort of thinking more like on the systems level, like, and if, even if we're thinking about politics, like maybe thinking about politics in like a not less neoliberal way, but it's hard because like the dominant ideology of the field of design, user-centered design is user-centered and it's not like really talking about like these problems. And so you end up stuck in like, oh, like what am I as an individual designer going to do to like make this better? And that can be like really um, problematic. I mean, in, in more ways than, than what I just mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, I think that like my wish, my, my like sincere hope would be that like people think about like these things in terms of like, not like, how do I do a better job, but like who controls what and like who has power to do what and like, if we think about it in those terms, then we can think about like, okay, actually we need to, we need to be fighting against this. We need to be like fighting against that. We need to organize in this way. We need to strategize and like make collective demands of these people. So, and, but that's like, that's organizing talk. That's like union talk. That's like not really something that like people want to hear, especially these corporations that are shelling out big bucks for like, you know, design experts now. So yeah, I mean, I feel like the corporatized like design world is definitely like intertwined with the academic design world. And I don't really know like if there's any real solution to this aside from like just burning it all down, but here we are. So yeah. That's a great answer. I mean, it's so, it's so sort of simpatico, I suppose, with what we're we're trying to you know the politics of this project do you have any thoughts on the, the sort of the specific voice user interface or machine listening angle um or even opening out to think about the sort of the gender politics of voice assistance or machine listening more generally yeah um this is weird stuff so like i recently saw a um twitter thing that was like a new like genderless uh, voice assistant and I listened to it and I was like uh I mean this like kind of sounds like me like I <laughs> and so it was like this weird feeling where I was like I'm not genderless like what so why so I feel like it can like this sort of drive to like de-gender everything is like really I kind of kind of bothers me because like I mean not to say that like you know we shouldn't like destroy this fucked up gender binary system, but like also we can't just like pretend it doesn't exist, you know? And that like, you know, if, if I'm listening to something marketed as gender neutral and I, and I have like opinions about it that, you know, I, that I'm gendering it in my mind, then it's like, what, what have we really accomplished? I mean, like the, the feeling of, gendering something or like being gendered is like not affected by the like desire to get rid of gender. And like, I feel like that can affect like, I don't know, folks who, folks who do like feel that this is again, misrepresenting them to see like, oh, like this is an ungendered voice and me thinking like, well, is it? Because I know a lot of women who 
have voices in that register. I know some men who have voices in that register, like non-binary folks would also, I think, I can't speak obviously for them, but just like knowing, knowing a lot of non-binary folks would say like, non-binary is not the like mathematical sum of like male and female or like the mathematical like overlap of male and female, you know what I mean? And so, so I was, is it that genderless voice assistants or uh, voice user interfaces sort of buy into an ideology of pitch, basically? They they sort of, while like trying to opt out of certain kinds of ideologies of gender, they're, they're actually reinscribing the one that tethers gender to pitch. Yeah. And like, and I mean, like, I, I'm not like saying that I'm above this. Like our app also includes this because we wanted it to be useful in that way. I mean, even if folks, if folks weren't interested, they have the ability to like not participate in that. Um, but like if, if they did want to and couldn't, that would also be a design issue. So the idea that you can like opt out of ideology, I think is totally wrong. You know, I don't think it's like not a worthwhile like goal to try to do like something that is better but um, I think it would have to be something more than let's pretend it doesn't exist because it does. I mean, that's why I think um, when you were talking before about sort of exploration and experimentation um, as a core value of, of Spectra, it's in, in, in a way that works against the sort of normative, you know, inscription of say pitch to gender because it it allows you to arrive somewhere that is expressive and perhaps um, also liable to change according to however you feel is sort of from day to day or or et cetera. And you know, I was I was sort of thinking before also about, you know, the relationship to singing apps and the way in which, you know, great singers throughout history have often cir- circumvented gender expectations or or had um totally non-conforming voices which then sort of signify a certain kind of imagination and creativity and so it it sort of seems like that's part of um if not an answer part of the you know methodologically something that that we should be valuing here yeah and i think it kind of like brings back the focus away from like what does what do other people think of me and like what do I want to think about myself which is something that like like myself I've dealt with a lot like you know just like understanding like okay how do I fit in in all of this and like to be hearing so much of like actually you're not trans because xyz or like actually like in order to be trans you need to have had this xyz like childhood memory or like you know what I mean? So like, instead of that, or like, you know, even in the context of voice, like in order to have like a feminine voice, you need to have X, Y, Z. So instead of that, like, to say like, how do you want to express yourself? You know, how, how do you want to like, how do you want to be like um, in, in your life? You know, like, how do you want to, um, to present? I think that doesn't sort of say like that these norms don't exist. Instead, it's saying, like, we know they exist, but, like, fuck them, right? Like. (laughs) 
I think fuck it might be a nice, yeah. <laughs> a nice note to end on as well. If we cut, right, the, if right. we cut the recording right there. This recording was produced by Mara Schwitvega for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Boon Wurrung and Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organization for artists working with sound and listening. To learn more head to liquidarchitecture.org.au